0: Turn in your Bibles to page one, at least it's page one in my Bible. So Genesis chapter one, we are in the season of Lent, that is the six Sundays before Easter, Lent is the seven weeks for Easter, Sun- Easter Sunday is the seventh Sunday, and we are going to take these next six weeks to talk about the story of the Bible. And what I want you to hear there is that it's singular, the story of the Bible, Because I suspect if we think about it, or we ask most people, they would say that the Bible is full of a ton of different books that are loosely held together, that there's just a bunch of stories in here. And while that's true, there are a lot of stories in here, there's also another story that goes over the whole scriptures, and that's the story of redemption. And that's what we're going to look at over the next six weeks is the story of redemption because if you think back to your English classes about, okay, what are the elements of a story? You know, you've got the introduction or the exposition where you sort of lay everything out and this is the world and this is what's going on and then you've got some sort of crisis or conflict. Something happens that sets the plot in motion and then you've got the the rising action and that culminates in, in the climax Where you get the solutions, and and the issues start to be resolved, and then you get the falling action until you get to the conclusion or the denouement. And that's the story of the Bible. Genesis 1 and 2 is the introduction, the exposition that sets the world. Genesis 3 is the conflict, the problem. Genesis 4 to the Gospels is the rising action. We're constantly trying to, to redeem ourselves. All the issues of redemption that never work. The climax is the Gospels. What is the actual solution to our problem? It's the death and resurrection of Christ. And then from the Gospels, Acts, down through to Revelation, that's the falling action. That's when everything else starts to be settled and and on into the book of Revelation, which is the conclusion. The, The denouement, the final part where everything comes together at the end. That's the story of redemption that is over all the other stories. So it's very much like a modern TV show. If I, when I was a kid, when I was watching TV, it really didn't matter which order you watched the episodes in because they were all just single stories. Anybody remember Emergency? The old show about Station 51 or whatever it was. You know, every week there's some crisis. And one week the firemen save the cat in the tree and the next week they save the girl that's trapped in the car and the next week they save the boy, boy in the well. But it, you could, it didn't matter which order you watched those in, right? In fact, they probably didn't even put them on often. They didn't put them on TV in the order they filmed them. They were just individual episodes, right? Now, imagine trying to watch a modern TV show like Lost or something like that, and starting at episode 10 of season one, and then watching episode three of season two, and then going back to episode two of season one, like you would be, pardon the pun, completely lost. You'd have no idea what's going on. Shows today have an arc. The Bible has an arc. That's what we're going to talk about. The arc of the Bible. And so, today, we're going to do the introduction. We're going to do the exposition. So read along with me, Genesis chapters 1 and 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless, formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the vault and separated the waters under the vault from the waters above it, and it was so. God called the vault sky, and there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the sky be gathered to one place and let dry ground appear." and it was so. God called the dry ground land, and the gathered water he, waters he called seas, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants, and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it according to the various kinds. And it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seeds according to their kind, and trees bearing fruit with seeds in it according to their kind. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening and there was morning the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night, and let them serve as signs to mark sacred times and days and years. And let there be lights in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth. And it was so. The Lord made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser got light to govern the night. And he also made the stars. God set them in the vault of the sky to give light to the earth, to govern the day and the night and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, let the water teem with living creatures and let the birds fly above the earth across the vault of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea and every living thing with which the water teems, that moves in it according to their own kind, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the water in the seas, and Let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their kind, the livestock and the creatures that move along the ground and the wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kind, the livestock according to their kind, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, so that he may rule over the fish in the sea, and the birds in the sky, and over the livestock, and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In in the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. God saw all that he has made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because he had rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Now this is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had sprung up, for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord formed a man from the dust of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden, and there it was separated into four headwaters. The name of the first is the Pishon, and it winds through the entire land of Avila, where there is gold. The gold of that land is good, and aromatic resins and onks are also there. The name of the second river is the Gihon, and it winds through the land of Cush. The name of the third river is the Tigris. It winds along the east side of Asher, The fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. The Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I'll make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Now, there are whole theology books written on these first two chapters. So my apologies ahead of time if I skip your favorite part. But we, we're, we're going we're gonna to move because we got to set the stage for the rest of our story. And one thing you need to understand is When Moses writes this, he's writing this about 1400 BC. If you know the story of the Exodus, the Israelites, who are the people who trace their descent back to a man named Israel, that's where they get their name, around 1800 BC, Israel, the man and his family, moved from where they lived in Canaan, modern day Israel, they moved to Egypt because of a famine. And they lived there for 400 years. So far longer than America has been a country, the Israelites lived in Egypt. And they have now grown to be millions of people. And over the last couple generations, the Egyptians have enslaved them. And so they are slaves. And now God has raised up Moses. And again, if, you, if you've read the story of the Exodus, there's a huge conflict between God, the God of the Hebrews and the God of the Egyptians, and between Pharaoh and Moses. And in the end, God wins. And the Israelites leave Egypt. And they go into the Arabian Peninsula. They're at a place called Mount Moriah or Mount Sinai. And they're they're, they're there waiting as Moses goes up and down this mountain, repeatedly talking to God and coming back down and writing out these stories. He's telling them their history. Because the only history they know is Egyptian history. And the story he tells about where the world comes from is so different from the stories they would have known. We have the Egyptian creation account. We have the creation accounts of the other cultures around them, the Sumerians and the Hittites and the Assyrians and the Babylonians and the Edomites. Like, those have been preserved for us and they're all very similar. They all begin the same way. In the beginning, the universe. They all begin with the universe and the gods arise out of the universe. And the gods really only do two things. And here we start to get into the PG-13 part. They're either fighting one another or they're sleeping with each other. That's pretty much all the gods do in these myths. They either are fighting or, or they're having sex. And people are an accidental byproduct of those two things in these stories. Pretty much all these stories say the same thing. Men, mankind arise either because the gods are fighting and one of them bleeds and the blood hits the ground and people pop up. Or the gods are having sex, and semen falls and hits the ground, and people pop up. And that's where people come from. They're accidents of the gods' passions. The gods didn't mean to do it. It wasn't intentional. But when the gods see people, they're like, oh, slaves. This is awesome. We need these. And that's what people are. They're the accidental byproducts of the gods' passions, either sexual or anger, and they're slaves. They're put on the earth to serve the gods. Now, imagine that's what you've grown up with. For 400 years, that's the story. Those are the stories that you hear. That's where the world came from. That's how the world works. In the beginning, the universe. And out of the universe, the gods. And out of the gods, battles and the gods, adulteries and sexual escapades and everything. Out of that come people who are enslaved. And listen to how Moses tells the story. In the beginning... God In the ancient creation stories they all start with the universe and no one knows what's before the universe it's just the universe is always there and the gods arise and Moses says no you know you've got that backwards in the beginning god it's god that's always been there what was before god Not, nothing there's nothing it doesn't exist god has always been there the universe arises out of god in the beginning god made the universe. And he goes on to tell how the universe is made with order. It's made with intention. It's made with purpose. There's a plan. It's step-by-step all the way through. This is so completely different from anything that the guys Moses is writing for. This nation of several million Israelites who've lived for generations in in Egypt and have now come out, they're going to be their own nation. This is so, so different. And this story ends, where, where do people come from? Are people just an accident? No. I mean, do you hear the repetition in the stories over and over again, God says something? It happens. It's good. There's evening, there's morning. That repetition happens over and over again. The Lord speaks and it happens and it's good and then that's the end of the day and we move on to the next one until you get to people. Did you hear how different that one was? It's still got all those elements, but it expands them dramatically. God just doesn't say, let there be mankind like he has for everything else. Let there be animals, let there be plants, let there be fish. He explains why he's doing it. Let's make people for this, re- for this reason. Here's what there's gonna do. People are made in God's image. They're made male and female. Now, okay, we know that animals were mostly made male and female too, but it doesn't mention that. It only says that about people. They're made in God's image. They're made male and female. God speaks to them. He explains to them why they're there and what's going on. And then in verse 31, he looks at it and it's very good. Everything's been good until now. This is very good. And then God rests. Again, none of the stories they ever would have heard. The gods never rested. Again, they were constantly either having sex or having fights. That's what they did. And Moses says, no, God God did this and it was, it was finished. It, it was good. He was, that was it. This, is as, this was as good as he was going to do. This is the world God has made. Now imagine that, that you're in their place and you're hearing these things. It is so different from any of the creation stories you have ever grown up with. And I will tell you, it is so different from our creation story as well. Because our world has a creation story. In the beginning, the universe. Our creation story actually sounds a lot like the earlier ones. In the beginning, an explosion. Something happened. In the beginning, the universe. Somehow, out of the universe arise cosmic forces. We don't know how. but but they do, they're not gods, but they actually act a lot like the gods. You know, the old gods either come together and fight and beat on each other, or, or they come together and cooperate and sleep with each other. But that's what they do and and instead in our creation story, these cosmic forces arise and sometimes they come together and cooperate and gravity pulls matter together and it it compresses and it heats and it becomes a star because this wonderful light in the sky that has warmth and and heat and shines out and sometimes they fight each other that that star passes by another smaller star and rips it to shreds. A black hole passes through a stellar nebula and just sucks everything into it, and it's gone. The, the cosmic forces in the world, they're a lot like the gods. Sometimes they cooperate and sometimes they fight. And where do we come from? Well, you know, you had sometimes the cosmic forces cooperated and sometimes they fought, and we end up with a planet, and then you sometimes something cooperate and sometimes they fight, and you end up with life, and life eventually becomes people but it's all an accident. It all just happened. There's no purpose. There's no meaning. Your life, the meaning in your life is just whatever you give it. And if you want to be a fireman, great, be a fireman. But if you're strong enough to take over a country, take over a country. Might makes right. Walk out into nature. Right? Why does the cat play with the mouse before it kills it? Because it likes to. It's fun. It wants to. It doesn't care that the mouse is suffering. It enjoys it. It might not even be hungry. It just enjoys it. That's our creation story. It all, cosmic forces and cooperation and and fighting and in the beginning the universe and ah, people, yeah, you know, they they just show up, it just happens. If you're a believer, this is your story and it is so radically different from the story our world tells because if this is your story and all people are made in God's image, then you are made in God's image. And don't let anyone tell you otherwise. Don't let anyone ever tell you that you are worthless, or that you don't matter, or that you're less than human, or you don't count, or you're not important. Every single human being descends from Adam and Eve in this story. And every single human being is made in the image of God. You are made in the image of God. And the people you hate are made in the image of God. The people you despise. The people you want nothing to do with. They are made in the image of God. If this is our story, then there is no place for all the isms in the world that make us look at other people and say, we're better than you, you're just inherently bad. Racism, sexism, ethnocentrism, nationalism, whatever it is, if it makes you look at another human being and say, you are worthless because of X, then that's a lie from hell. And I tell you that because I used to be on Facebook. I got off of Facebook on my birthday, 2018. My mother called me, wished me happy birthday, told me, oh, Jeff, people are, people in your church are writing you notes on Facebook for your birthday. And I'm like, oh, that's so nice. I have such a great church. I'll go look. So I looked and I opened up Facebook and, you know, you've got the, you've got the various posts that people make and there's a post by somebody, a member of our church, posting about how disgusted they are with people from the other political party. The people who don't feel about the president the way they do. It doesn't matter which party it is because both sides do it, right? And what they said was, if I can quote them correctly, that these people are a waste of oxygen, and I wish they would quickly die of lead poisoning. (laughs) Ha 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 ha. What a lovely way to say you want someone killed. You want someone shot because you disagree with their politics. And I closed Facebook, and I closed my computer, and I've never turned it on again. Because folks, that is the closest I have come to resigning. I cannot stand up here and tell you what scripture says. Go stand at the back of that door. Shake your hand. Have you say to me, oh, thanks, pastor. That was great. And think, yeah, but you're going to go home tomorrow and you're going to write such filth in a public forum. You don't agree with this person's politics, so you hope someone shoots them. I can't do that. I can't stand up here and preach and think that about you. I've never been on Facebook again because I don't want to know. Like, if that's what you're doing Monday through Friday, don't tell me. I don't want to know. It's an abomination before the Lord. You don't like their politics? Great! Don't vote with them. Argue with them. Stand up and, 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 and conf- try and convince them that they're wrong. But decide that they don't deserve life because they don't feel about the president the way you feel. And of course... The very next post is a Bible verse, making sure everyone knows you're a Christian who feels this way. Making sure you, that everyone knows you are a follower of Christ who wants your enemies dead. I don't want to know. If you're doing that, don't tell me. Because God and I made a deal. I didn't quit, and I never have to look at Facebook again. That's our compromise. Um, I didn't step down, and I will never get on Facebook again. Knowing what is there. Every single human being on this planet is made in the image of God. I don't care if they're races. I don't care what their nationalities. I don't care what their, their religion is. I don't care if they love God or hate God. They are made in the image of God. You cannot want their death because they're different from you. You cannot want to oppose and oppress them because they don't agree with you. This is our story and we need to be people who live it. And I can't believe going on that I have to say this because 10 years ago it would not have been you know, at all culturally weird to say male and female he created them. But our world doesn't believe that anymore because their story says it's all just a mistake. It all just happened. It's all random. You choose. You choose whatever you want. Yeah, our story says male and female. It's part of the created order. God made it this way. Again, it doesn't give you the right to despise people who disagree with you. But that is what our story says, that when God made the world, he made people, men, and he made them women. It is an intrinsic part of human character. It is who he made us to be. Now, you've heard me talk about that the ancients don't tell stories the way we do. If this were our story, if we were writing it today, that'd be it, we'd be done. Because we've told the story, boom. We started at the beginning, we went through, God makes man, he rests, that's it, he's done. They don't tell stories that way. So anybody ever seen a flashback in a TV show? Yeah, we didn't invent those. They did. Right? So they go running along all the way through to day seven and God rested and then we flash back Because that's the way they tell stories. They go forward and then they go back and they give you more information. And they go back and they give you more information. They never just go all the way straight through. So now we back up to day six again. There's no animals. There's no plants. There's these various things. And now... Because man is made in God's image, and he's made to rule, now Moses is going to tell us a ton more about that. He's not just going to say God made them male and female. He's going to tell us this whole story. And so he jumps back, and he loops, and he starts on this story again, and we learn all about how God made man. God says, oh, we'll make man to rule. What does that mean? What's he going to do? Oh, we'll make man in our image. What does that mean? Well, it means in verse 7, God forms man out of dust and breathes. The breath of life, breath is also the same word as spirit. Breathe the spirit of life into him. Now again, contrast that to the stories you've grown up with if you're the people reading this. People are an accident. That some god got in a fight and his blood dripped on the ground and people came up and they immediately stopped fighting and thought, oh that's great, they're servants, we'll we'll enslave them and make them do it and then we don't have to fight about it. And in this story, in our story, God shares his life to make people. He's not done that with anything else in creation. He takes, he is the the father, the spirit, the source of life, and he takes some of that and he puts it into the man. And the man becomes a living being, a being who shares in God's own life. And then God takes him to the garden in verse 15. And he is to work the garden. He is to rule over nature. The garden doesn't work him. He works the garden. He has a job. This is before the fall. You know, your work is not some necessary evil to pay the bills. Work is from God. Adam had work to do. And then God brings him the animals, and he names the animals. He said, God said he's going to rule over the natural, he's going to rule over the animals. Here we see him doing it. He names the animals. He is in charge of them. But God says, there's no helper suitable for him. So first we have the man. We're told he made a male and female. We see where he made the male. Now we find out about the female. He takes part of Adam and he makes Eve. Now again, think about their world, right? In their world, 1400 BC, coming out of a place like Egypt. In the male-female hierarchy, where do you think people sit? Right? Men are up here and women are down here. Right? Men are good and high position and women are low, right? I mean, in some cultures, even you know, 1,500 years after this in the Roman Empire, you'll have men, male slaves, women, female slaves, right? Why is mankind the pinnacle of creation? Why are we the completion? Why do we say that man is God's greatest creation? Because we were created last. That's the principle. The final creation is the best one. Anybody remember Windows 3? Anybody want to go back to it? Right? Newer is better. Right? Last creation. That's the principle. The thing that the master makes, his final thing he makes, that's the culmination of all his work. That's man in creation story. Who is it in humanity? It's woman. Adam is humanity 1.0, Eve is humanity 2.0. Eve is the final creation. So, by that logic, she should stand over Adam. But notice how he does it. He doesn't scoop up dust and breathe into Eve because then she would be independent. She would be like mankind is from the rest of creation. She would be superior to Adam. Instead, he takes from Adam and makes a woman. So they're connected. She doesn't get life. Adam gets life from God. Eve's life comes from God through Adam, and yet she is made after him. Eve is God's final, culminating work on humanity this is as good as it's going to get but she is not independent now she's also we're told she's a helper that's not a bad word that's a good one in this language this, this doesn't mean servant helper is god 90 plus percent of the time you read that word it relates to god god is the helper of israel i look to the mountains where does my help come from my help comes from the god of israel Right, there's different words for help. One can mean help as in a servant. Oh, no. <laughs> this one, she's a helper like God is a helper. But again, who names Eve? Adam. She's after him. She has a claim to superiority over him, but Adam rules. And Adam names the animals, and Adam names these. Do you see how Moses, God through Moses, he, he's weaving these together to show that men and women are not independent? We desperately need each other. The image of God is found in men and women together. That's what Paul will say to the Corinthians. He says, In the Lord, a man is independent of a woman, and a woman's not independent of a man. Eve could say, well, I'm the final creation and I'm a helper like God is a helper. So that makes me the first one. You know, that makes me, I I, I have the first position and Adam could say, well, I'm the firstborn because that actually, it's not in this passage, but it will become very significant later. The firstborn has special privileges and special rights and the firstborn is in charge. The firstborn will be in charge of all his siblings until they, they would leave the house. He could say, well, I'm the firstborn and I'm the one who names Adams and the animals and I named you. I have a position of authority. They both have a claim to dignity and worth and importance. And neither of those claims are independent of each other. They need each other. That's the way God has set up our world. When God made people, he very intentionally wove men and women together. And so you see the tension. We still have this tension today. God made them male and female. They're separate. They're different. I mean, come on. Women and men are definitely different. And at the same time, we say, oh, but they have equal dignity and equal worth. Yes, absolutely. They're both made in the image of God, but that means different things. For Adam, it means he has the breath of life blown into him. For Eve, it means she comes from Adam, but she's made after him. They both have these claims to dignity and worth. Neither can ever say to the other one, well, you're just not worth as much. I'm more important. No, like they've intentionally, in the telling of this story, God has intentionally woven men and women together that we need each other. And notice how it ends. God has made a man. God has made a woman. He brings the woman to the man. What's she called after that? This is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife. And they become one flesh, Adam and his wife. She stops being the woman, and she starts being his wife, because they're married. God takes one man and one woman, and he brings them together and marries them. And then they have sex, right? That, that, that's what cleave means. I hope I'm not giving away any spoilers. It's a, it's a euphemism. Join together. God makes a man and a woman, marries them, and they start sleeping together. And I, uh, you know, naked, not ashamed, I'm assuming this meant that there was, you know, a fair bit of sex going on early in the garden. I, 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 I'm making a bit of an inference. I realize that. But they were naked and not ashamed. They, they had cloven together. That's how this story ends. Notice what God does not do. He does not make a man and a whole bunch of women and say, there you go, Adam, go at it, baby. Hope you enjoy it. He does not make a bunch of men and a bunch of women and say, okay, sure, everybody, whatever you want. He does not make one man and two women and marry him to two women and say, there you go, one on even days, one on odd days. One man, one woman married. Then they sleep together. And that is the pattern throughout all of Scripture. It starts in the beginning of our story, and it just runs all the way through the Bible. It never changes. Okay? People change, and God allows things that we're told he's not happy about, but he'll put up with, like one man with multiple women. But there are no stories in the Bible of, of polygamy that are good. I mean, seriously, start with, start with Abraham, He has Sarah, he takes Hagar as his second wife, disaster. Jacob wants to marry Rachel, ends up with four wives, disaster. Samuel's mom, Hannah, one of two wives, read about what her life was like. I mean, all the way through scripture, David, Solomon, all these guys, anytime we're told about the lives of a man who has multiple wives, it's awful. Nothing good is happening. You know how I told you the the Bible invented the flashback? It also invented the flash forward. You know how TV shows will do that? Like you know, the guy's 30 in the show and then all of a sudden in the next episode he's 60, and and you're seeing his possible future? The Bible does that all the time. Right after Cain and Abel, Adam and Eve's two sons, Cain and Abel, one kills the other, so we're not going well here, right? And then boom, the Bible will flash forward hundreds of years, the seventh generation from Cain, and it'll show us what Cain's descendants look like. Okay, his name is Lamech. The first thing we're told about him is he has two wives. He's collecting women. As opposed to what scripture says, one man, one wife. He's collecting women and he's bragging about having killed a man. He's like, oh, you think Cain was bad for killing his brother? I am seven times badder than Cain was. He's collecting women and he's bragging about murder and death. Right? That, 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 the Bible jumps forward hundreds of years to show us where this goes one man, one woman married. That is the only place in all of scripture that you are allowed to have sex. Okay, that is the pattern. It starts in the story right here, and it is carried forward throughout all the scripture. One man, one woman married. Everything else is wrong. People are like, oh, you Christians are such prudes. You have no idea. We're way more conservative than you think we are. We are way more you think we're you think we're narrow because we say homosexuality is wrong? Folks, I am male. There are four billion women in this world. For three billion, nine hundred and ninety-nine million, nine hundred and ninety-nine thousand, nine hundred and ninety-nine of them. For me, heterosexuality is a sin. Totally wrong, an abomination before the Lord. There is one person on the planet I can be sexually interested in. My wife. That's it. Of the other 8 billion people, nope. Doesn't matter their gender, doesn't matter our relationship, doesn't matter my circumstances. We've got to stop this thing about, oh, well, you know, I mean, if you're a guy who struggles with being attracted to guys, well, I mean, that's like a 10 on the sin scale. But, you know, if you're a guy who struggles with being attracted to, to other women, oh, that's only a five. No, they're all abominations. One man, one woman, that's it. That's the only acceptable place for sex in God's world. And within it, yes, naked and unashamed, with abandon, it is God's good gift. But wow, anything outside of that is wrong. We've got to stop separating out sexual sin as if some are, okay, I have a friend who jokes, and he means this as a joke, but really, it's really sad. It's like, why did, you know, it's like the church says to people, like, hey, guys, you know, if you're struggling being attracted to guys, oh, you need to stop that. Don't lust after guys. Lust after girls. No. No, that's wrong. It's evil. The only person on the planet you should have sexual desire for is your wife. Okay, next week, chapter three, the fall. Oh, yeah, it's all going to go wrong. <laughs> it's all going to go terribly, terribly terribly wrong. But this is the way God made the world. And I've never met a person who doesn't struggle with sexuality. I've never met anyone who doesn't struggle with sexual sin. If you're a guy who's attracted to guy or a girl who's attracted to girls, welcome to the club. I'm a guy who's attracted to girls. And it's wrong in, count it with me, 3,999,999,999 times. For you, attracted to guys, it's all four billion. I don't know if that one out of four billion is really that big a difference. Sexual sin is sexual sin. The Bible doesn't care how you're tempted. It cares what you do with it. If you're a guy who's tempted to, to, to you're sexually attracted to guys. If you're a girl who's sexually attracted to a girl. If you're a guy who's sexually attracted to women who are not your wife. Or you're a girl who's sexually attracted to guys who are not your husband. Don't do it. Turn away. It's wrong. It's wrong. God is so narrow about sex. That's where the story begins. Or actually, in this case, this is where the introduction ends. Like, this is the high point. One man, one woman, married, naked and not ashamed. This is the high point. It is downhill from here after next week. If if you are struggling with any of that, welcome to the club. Bible doesn't care what your temptations are. They care what you do about them. Turn away. If you're a guy attracted to girls, if it's not your wife, turn away. If you're not married, turn away. If you're a girl attracted to girls, turn away. If you're a girl attracted to guys, if it's not your husband, turn away. This this is our story. This is where we begin. This, This is our ethic. This is how we live because this is who God has made us to be. So I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to pray and ask the Lord, are there places where you, you need to change the story you're telling to yourself? Because it's not this story. Like if part of your story is, sure, I can hate those people because they're not like me. I can despise those people because they're a different ethnic group than me. Then are, do you, you need to change that. You absolutely need to change that. Right? Are you a guy who looks down on women or a woman who looks down on guys? You need to change that. Right? We we. Both sexes, God gives dignity and worth and he winds them together so they need each other. Are you tempted? In way, in, are you sexually attracted to anybody other than your spouse? And your spouse, if you're a woman, your spouse is a man. If you're a man, your spouse is a woman. That's the way God made it. Turn away. You got to stop that. If you are sleeping with someone that is not your lawful spouse, stop, stop now. Don't think about it. Don't debate it. Don't go home and write down the pros and the cons. Stop. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 4, the Lord will punish everyone who commits sexual sin, right? Not not the non-Christians who commit sexual sin. Everyone. He's talking to believers. You will suffer the consequences because you are violating something that God holds sacred. If you are sleeping with anybody that is not your spouse, stop immediately whether you're not married yet or you're whatever it doesn't matter stop you are violating the way God made the world you have no idea how much God cares about sex like he's really impressed with sex it is way up there on his list of the the amazing things he did in creation and when you sleep with someone you're not married to wow I mean Paul says again in Thessalonians he's like look you're not you're not disobeying me you're disobeying God You're disobeying the God who gave you his Holy Spirit. There will be consequences if you do this. So I'm gonna pray for us. I'm gonna ask God's spirit to talk to you. Do you need to change your story at all? Do you need to change your actions? Do you need to change your thinking based on this is who we are? This is our story. This is who God made us. So let's pray. Lord, thank you for your good creation. Thank thank you for your kindness. You, You didn't have to do this. It could have just been in the beginning, God. You didn't need the universe and you didn't need us. You're just good and you're just gracious. And as we'll see next week after we, we run away from you, that's the whole story of the Bible. You bringing us back. You redeeming us. But Lord, today, this week, as we've looked at what it ought to look like, the kind of people that we ought to be, Jesus, speak to us. Is there any way we need to change? Are there people that I, I, I don't acknowledge or, are made in your image? Are there people that I hate and despise and think they're not even human because I disagree with them or, or, or because I don't like them? Are, are there places where I look down on others? When scripture says, no, we are all made in your image. Lord, I pray for all of us. I can't imagine there's anybody in this room that doesn't in one way, shape, or form struggle with sexual sin. Lord, I pray for us that you would keep us holy and pure. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would turn our hearts towards our spouse and our spouse only. Jesus, I pray that you would help us to live lives of purity before you. This is the way you have made the world. One man, one woman, married. That is when we unite together and only with that person. But Lord, you know how hard that is. You know how hard it is to be human. Scripture says you were tempted in every way we were. So you were tempted sexually. You were were not married. You couldn't sleep with anybody, but you were tempted to. You turned away. Jesus, help us to turn away. Help us to turn away from these temptations. Help us to turn away from this thinking that wants to rank sexual sin and make other people's sin worse than ours so we feel better when what we are doing is evil. It is a lie from hell. Jesus, be gracious to us. We pray now as, as we take communion together. Jesus, we pray. That, that you will meet with us. If there's things you want to change in our thinking, if there's things you want to change in our actions, Lord, then, then do so. Please do. Please change us. Help us to change. You know how hard it is for us. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.